Welcome to the Be Well at USASC podcast with me, Peter Headley. In each episode, members of the USASC and wider community will join me to share ideas and provide guidance on all aspects of being well. And we'll be highlighting campus initiatives and resources designed to engage and support you. In these challenging times, we hope the ideas and information we share will help. In this special episode, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Patty McDougall, the university's Vice Provost of Teaching, Learning and Student Experience. Patty is an Associate Professor of Psychology with a specialism in developmental and educational psychology. We're going to be discussing the impact COVID-19 has had on the university environment and the changes that have had to be made to adapt to the new context. We'll also look ahead to the fall term and talk about what new and returning students can expect. Well, welcome to the podcast, Patty. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome, Peter. Absolute pleasure. So can you start off telling me a little about what being a a vice provost of teaching, learning and student experience typically involves? Certainly. So in uh, typical times, um, I would be the person who has oversight centrally of all the things that we do that involve teaching, learning and student experience, just like the title implies. So I am responsible for overseeing the student learning and development cycle and all of the many services that the university organizes in and around that. So right from the very early days of meeting us in recruitment, all the way and in and through the time that students spend at the university to graduation. And, um, you know, certainly uh, we've got people in the portfolio who work on uh, employment and career things as well. So really the the learning and development cycle. So I know you're always ready for the unexpected in your role and certainly the past few weeks and months as a result of COVID-19 has been particularly unusual for you. Can you share any insights into any learnings you've taken from your experiences in the past few weeks? Well, I think um, unusual is a is a good word, um, atypical, unprecedented, all of those things. In some cases, miraculous. Um, I think what I have learned is how I, I've relearned just how dedicated people are to our students and to our faculty, to supporting our faculty through uh, difficult and challenging times. So, so that's been a learning. I've learned that um, as complex and as massive a place as we are, we're still able to move and uh, respond and to make change and to try things out that maybe we thought were going to take us a couple of years. We're actually able to mobilize in a very intentional way and make changes much more, much more rapidly. So those are some learnings. What's been on your mind most about how students and colleagues have been doing over the past couple of months, either things that you've heard directly from students or, or from colleagues themselves? Well, I think probably one of my one of my greatest concerns is thinking about um, how students are coping. Also, by the way, think about how um, faculty and staff colleagues are coping. And I know you broadened the question to include colleagues as well. So, you know, it's um, I'm I'm here at home just like everybody else. And I am having that experience of ups and downs every day. And so I think about how other people in different environments are are getting through. And by different environments, I mean different family circumstances. So I'm, I'm typically able to find a quiet place in the house to work. I'm not sure that's true for everyone. I think there are challenges both for our students who are doing remote learning right now, spring and summer, for our, for our colleagues um, who are um, delivering courses or providing supports to students, whatever the case may be. 
Um, I'm cognizant of the fact that um, we're called upon to do things differently, that that's challenging. And so I spend some time reflecting on um, how people are coping. And, um, and of course, um, in the TLSE, Teaching, Learning, and Student Experience, we're ever thinking about how to do more uh, and to respond to students, meeting them where they are right now and meeting the needs that they come with. It's worth stressing that no team has stopped working. Everyone's just working differently and remotely, as you say. Absolutely agree. And I know that I have people in our portfolio, Peter, who are um, just going way above and beyond. And I see that in other parts of the university too. It's not, it's not just one portfolio. So they're going way above and beyond to try to work quickly um, when the circumstances require. And, and I, I think that's, that's quite phenomenal. The 2019-2020 academic year ended for everyone in unusual circumstances in a virtual learning context, which was challenging for both learners and instructors. And many of whom were working in this mode for the first time. What are your thoughts about how this went for everyone? And, and I know you don't have a glass ball to pr predict the future, but what can you share about the planned mode of delivery for programs looking ahead to the fall? Thank you. I don't, I'm not sure anyone believed that, we, that the university could actually do what it did in March when we pivoted and moved quickly to finishing the term in a remote uh, delivery method. So I think people were quite surprised um, that they were capable of, of uh, rising to the call and getting things done. I'm sure it caused um, anxiety amongst students. And um, I know it took, took a little bit to get everything sorted out. We did come to the end successfully. We did get through exams. Your question is really, you know, what, what did I, you know, think about how it went? I think that we learned a lot. I know I, on the positive side, I know that I was astounded by what our faculty colleagues and support staff were able to mobilize in such a short time. It just reminds me always that um, people, uh, faculty, staff are united in terms of doing what's best for students. This goes without saying. Just a, It was sort of a lived experience in those weeks. Um, I think I, uh, based on some of the feedback we received from students, I think that there were some very positive experiences. I think that students appreciated the additional openness, willingness, flexibility that our faculty colleagues showed. I think, so, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful, right? I see the good things. I'm also aware that there were challenges and struggles um, in technology, using technology. I certainly know that um, in terms of delivering courses that people might have wished that it would end differently and that in, in some ways maybe it seemed unresolved because it ended so quickly in, in the way that it did. Um, I know that we face some challenges during during exams um, and uh, we know we'll continue to to work away. What's interesting is as, as we think about the fall, um, I think we have an opportunity because we have really more runway as it is, as it were, to lead up to the fall when it comes to remote delivery. So listeners who have followed will know that the university released a statement to say that um, the vast majority of what we do in the fall will be done remotely. 
There will be some limited in-person delivery um, where that delivery is required and where circumstances permit. So we have to, you know, for safety's sake, we're responsible to our students, to our faculty and staff colleagues. We're responsible to the city, the province, to do things as safely as possible. And we're committed to doing things as safely as possible. So we are carefully looking at anything that that might require um, in-person delivery. And, you know, think like the University of Saskatchewan has a vast array of health science disciplines. And it can be extremely challenging to train a doctor if that doctor can't um, interact with patients or doesn't have the opportunity. Uh, Difficult to train a nurse uh, unless you can provide those opportunities for uh, clinical skills development. Those are just two examples. We have many. So we'll look at that very carefully. But the vast majority of what we do will be done remotely. And so back to where I started, we've got um, more opportunity now to provide enriched learning experiences in a remote delivery for the fall. And um, people have already begun with the planning um, when it comes to what that will look like. So what does, you know, what are the hallmarks of a good um, remote or online class? Um, And um, we've got faculty who are already engaged in their planning. So I'll give you law as an example. It's a favorite example. We've got colleagues over in law who are learning a new uh, learning management system, Um, perhaps maybe haven't used it before. And as they do so, they are developing models for delivery of how to do different kinds of classes. So how to teach a a class on contracts, what will be the best elements to include in that when it comes to the, the technological platforms that we have. So I actually believe that um, students are going to be very pleasantly surprised at what the fall looks like in terms of the kinds of of courses that that are on offer and um, and how those look from a learner standpoint. President Stoichev and the senior leadership team has been clear from the outset that the university's greatest priority is the health and well-being of everyone in the campus community, and I I don't think there's anyone who would argue with that. But can can you share any thoughts about what planning looks like right now and and thoughts about the stage reopening of our campuses across the coming weeks and months? Again, recognizing that you don't have a glass ball. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no question, Peter, that um, people continue to think along the lines, if it can be done remotely, in terms of the activities of the university, it should be done remotely. So using that as a sort of a, a North Star um, to guide decisions that are being made, Um, The university produced a framework document for increased activity that's in circulation now, and it maps out different stages that we will go through. So so in that regard, it was it was developed alongside the province's plan for reopen. And so it contemplates some of the same kinds of things, but it it certainly adheres to and um, and makes clear that we will comply with all public health uh, guidelines and regulations as we as we think about increasing activity. Um, there is a significant 
need, I think, and call and um, desire for some of our research colleagues or some of our colleagues engaged in their research to be able to return to campus, if really predicated on the notion that they can't do that research off campus. Similarly, we're gearing up for um, people being able to access spaces on campus for um, lecture capture or the use of specialized equipment, lab uh, demonstrations, the kinds of things that we need to be planning so that uh, remote delivery can take place in the fall. So lots of that happening. Again, all very measured, um, all very uh, careful as we think about the circumstances around us and uh, where we're at and what we're, what we're permitted to, to be doing. One of the things that many of the units in your portfolio are already working on is, is the students that will be joining the university in the fall for the first time. We're already seeing quite a number of students and parents concerned about what the university experience will look like in the fall, by which I mean questions around fees, uh, opportunities to live in residence, or how students will be able to make friends in a virtual setting. As a parent of a USASC student yourself, what message would you share with both students and their families who may be feeling this way right now? Right. So an important message, I think, thank you for this this question. I think an important message for for family, because we know that um, that this is a this is really on people's minds. An important message for family is we're not going to do anything um, that would um, put our students in harm's way. So we're going to do everything we need to do in order to maintain a safe environment. And hence, hence our move to go mostly remote um, in the fall. That's a big part of it. Secondarily, it would move on to say that, you know, we are actively, Peter, just as you said, working on different topic areas so as to uh, better position our students for success. So, yeah, transition and orientation, um, an area that you're carefully working on with our colleagues to do something innovative, to do something imaginative. We are working on, um, and and I should mention, we've got student leaders who are working on this with us. We are working on looking at technology and accessibility for remote delivery. We are looking at how to provide some preparatory materials for our students so that they know how to be successful in an online or remote environment. So we're spending our time thinking about all the various angles about what will make our students successful and then putting teams of people on that um, in order to uh, be able to do that effectively, including, again, by the way, student voice to help us. And it's hard for me to emphasize student voice too much, or it's impossible for me to emphasize it too much. And as you point out, I do have um, a son who will be entering really third year um, in this this coming fall, although it's continuous because he's also doing, like many, many thousands, he's doing spring and summer study as well. And what I am so very aware of is that um, someone who is my age, my generation, I don't know uh, as much about how to create relationships and build community in a virtual space as our students do, as my son would be able to tell me. So I certainly know what I can see, and I certainly believe that we can create um, environments and opportunities to, for people to forge relationships, for people to build that community. I'm a firm believer in that fundamental human need to belong, 
for people to feel that they belong. And I know that there are many others that that share that belief. So we will look for those opportunities um, and we will be guided by um, what our students tell us is is workable. Um, let me let me give you you know an academic example of dentistry. The great thing about my work right now, however atypical, is that I am constantly daily in conversation with um, different colleges to understand what they're doing and what they're working on, and so I get to see so many incredible things. So and so in dentistry. They are having these sorts of uh, chats, if you will, about different topics that are of interest to our dentistry students, so how to manage a practice. So they're not only having conversations about the technical aspects, uh, remote conversations about the technical aspects of how to do a bridge for someone, but they are also having more informal conversations that aren't lecture-based, where students are being able to ask these questions about life as a dentist. So to the extent that we can create those opportunities, you will also get not only sense of belonging to your cohort or to your group, but also sense of uh, identity in your profession. And as I say, um, we have many health sciences and then we also have other professional colleges. So so these are the kinds of things that matter and uh, these are happening People are making these things uh, come together. Our faculty are um, dedicating the time to students to have these conversations. I, I think it's extraordinary. That's great. And uh, just just a couple of quick practical questions, and I guess one about money and one about living. And so if, if I was a student and I felt, and I think you know, particularly international students, if I felt that I, I wanted to or needed to live in residence, is, is that going to be an option for me later in the year? So our residence is mobilizing. We still have people living in residence uh, with us. Listeners may not know that. And those would largely include international students who were, for various reasons, unable to return home. And uh, for the the group of students that we have that are not international students, again, they're staying with us because they just simply were not able to return, uh, return home. And so we feel very strongly that we want to do everything that we can. So... Um, our our residences are are working toward that goal, Peter. And you know, I think uh, to the extent that we are able to open up more, I think the priority would be on um, international students, and also on students who may come from in or out of the province, but who who come from a position of having great difficulty uh, studying remotely from home. So, for example, we are actively looking at um, technology and access around the province. And we have heat maps that includes, you know, both um, broadband and cellular. So we can figure out where are the places where our students are going to struggle. It may be that um, if we can open up and have more students in residence, um, if we're permitted to go in that direction, that um, that that there may be some students who who will seek to live in residence simply because uh, living at home is makes it impossible to um, to study remotely. So yeah, we'll definitely prioritize um, those groups of students. Just thinking about finances and fees for a moment, I just wondered if you could comment upon the emergency supports that have been provided by the university so far. But also from what I understand, the, the tuition freeze um, in most of the programs in the fall, and, and maybe even just talk about the potential savings that could be made for students and their families thanks to virtual learning. 
So I think you highlighted, Peter, in your intro to the question. Certainly, we made the determination, uh, as listeners will know, that but for the exception of um, a handful of colleges where tuition announcements had already been made and where students were well aware of those uh, increases, we were able to freeze tuition um, and uh, so students would not incur increases in this coming academic year. Uh, we did uh, uh, took a variety of steps when it came to fees, uh, keeping in mind and reminding folks that um, only 20% of the fees that we collect from students are actually related to university activity. The remainder of those fees are, are tied to third parties. And, and by third parties, um, I mean uh, student unions and uh, the sheaf and uh, things, things of that nature. So we set about to talk over with each of those groups um, what, what would be possible in terms of savings, and, um, and we took steps accordingly. We have uh, dispersed almost $1.2 million since mid-March um, in emergency student crisis aid. That money comes from the university's operating budget. That money comes from the generosity of uh, alumni and donors. That money comes from uh, an allotment from uh, a scholarship program that the Ministry of Advanced Education had uh, allotted to us that we were able to repurpose. And um, we, you know, we continue to seek more uh, more funding, quite honestly. We have permitted some reallocation of uh, professional and expense fees that colleagues have jumped on and, and redistributed to student emergency fees. We took the, uh, people might be interested to know that uh, every year we grow bedding out flowers for uh, the bowl and for other areas. So this year, even though we grew all of those ourselves, we're not going to be planting them. And so um, my colleagues came up with this incredible idea that we would partner with a local nursery and sell them. So the proceeds for that will go right into emergency student aid. Um, in addition to crisis aid, the university funded a graduate student employment project, which was phenomenal, wherein I think we spent almost $200,000 on um, employing graduate students who were in financial need for various reasons, um, lost their uh, jobs, etc. And so incredible graduate students have been um, not only helped us get through incremental needs during exams, but they are helping to develop uh, new content for fall remote delivery and uh, coming up with new ways to support that fall programming. Those are just some examples. That's great. I, I think what I'm hearing is that it's fair to say that every dollar and cent is being carefully considered right now with a particular view on ensuring that the investments are there for those things that will both maintain and enhance the student experience in the fall. I think that's a perfect summary, and I, I might add, and of course, Peter, you will know that inside the TLSE, it's been very important to us to maintain all of our services, and, and very important to me, by the way, and people were very patient with me in the early days. It was very important to me that we set up a scenario where somebody could call in and hear a voice at the other end. So email, of course, you know, that's a minimum expectation that if you write to one of our services, they're going to write back to you. but. For me, and of course, we're using virtual delivery as well for appointments of various kinds, but I wanted to think that a parent or a student could phone 
and get someone on the other end. And so we have been able to do that in some of our key areas like Student Central. They worked hard at that. Uh, Prospective students um, can call up and hear a voice on the other end. It's a USASC approach to, to, for me, in my mind, that kind of personal contact is a USASC approach. And even as we go through this, I'm, I'm unwilling to let that go. Given our focus on all aspects of wellness in this podcast, I wondered if we can talk about leadership for a moment. We're hearing that lots of leaders, both locally and globally, are struggling to know what the right thing to do is at the moment, especially in relation to keeping their business moving forward at the same time as caring for their people. Are there any pieces of advice you'd offer to other leaders at this time? I'm a firm believer in, at all times, by the way, but more so than ever, I am a firm believer in extending benefit of the doubt. So as we work, as we work through um, what we are called to do at this time, I really encourage everyone around me to make sure that they are extending benefit of the doubt. Um, we are all on one team and and everyone is working towards common goal, common purpose. And so it requires patience with each other because it's the pace is intense, fast and furious. And we're doing it from home um, and we're, we don't have the same opportunities to be together. So certainly um, that I I think is an important feature. I think that we are learning that we need to have a long game. Uh, again, I firmly believe in that we need a long game viewpoint. So yes, uh, every just about every minute of my day, probably for sure for the last four to six weeks has been focused on what the fall of 2020 looks like. And I'm pleased and proud to serve in the role to to do what I can. Um, but really, we have a long a long game. So really, I'm also thinking about the winter. I'm thinking about the year that follows. I'm thinking about the post-COVID environment and what that looks like. And so I think despite the fact that we will always think about what our priorities are and stay true to those priorities, we have to be ready and prepared to change as the situation changes. And um, I think some might say that's a that's an, a fairly obvious remark given that we, we're in an evolving situation. Um, flexibility. So, gosh, I, I'm not sure I can remember a time when I felt like... Um, we were in the gray, uh, spending as much time in the gray as we are right now. So things are not black and white. Things are gray. We don't have all the answers. Uh, that is an uncomfortable position for any leader to be in. And uh, I have found myself here before in important issues, and I find myself here again. And you just have to get comfortable being uncomfortable and know that um, you're not going to have all the answers and to be honest about that and also to uh, lean on other people who can help find those answers. Um, Communication is a big one, clear and simple communication. I actually prefer always, if possible, to say things as opposed to writing things. I think that email uh, is too often a source of miscommunication. Uh, I would much prefer, and I have been doing that at this time, um, getting on a Teams call, a video call, picking up the phone, 
um, that's pretty important. And, you know, I had a conversation with our USSU colleagues today and some, some of their advice was, you know, over-communicate. And uh, I tend to agree with them. It can be a difficult situation to be in, in terms of getting out communications as much and as fast as we might like, but more is certainly better. You know, honesty and listening to people for sure is has been important. I had this twice now, super cool experiences of um, rather than trying to get a large group of managers together, leaders, these would be our TLSE leaders, rather than trying to get a group together, which doesn't work as well. It's great for information sharing, um, but but not so good for the interaction side of things. And so I've been doing small groups and uh, it just affords much greater uh, back and forth communication. And then I can listen and really hear about how how people are doing. So that's important to me for sure. And I'm counting the successes. And, and by that, I mean, I am reflecting back to people when we get something accomplished, when we take one more step further towards the goals that we have, I count that as a success. And, um, you know, it, it matters. It matters because we need to celebrate that. We need to mark that. So those are just some some thoughts on on leadership. Yeah, no, I really appreciate all those thoughts. One of the things that, that I've been very conscious of, and I know my own leadership team has, is this idea of asking people how they're doing and be ready for a real answer, which is to say that you leave space for the I'm not doing okay um, without, you know, uh, that idea that you need to fix that thing not being okay or that person not being okay and but things can change quite quickly you know in any yeah. given day and and I'm I'm home with family too and so how you're doing in the morning or how a member of your household is doing or when I call a colleague who has a three-year-old sitting next to them at the kitchen table and so I think for me for sure it's leaving space for people not being okay and recognizing that that could be a passing thing um, but if it's not that being able to highlight um, what supports are available, but not necessarily need to fix that thing or that person, you know, in that moment. I really like that approach. And I do think that people are responding maybe more honestly and transparently to that question than we might if we passed each other on the stairs or in the hallway. And I know that I have also similarly been trying to be transparent so that the people around me know that, yeah, there are there are some really tough days Um you know, I come from a long line of women who who don't quit. And so um, I'm determined. But there are up days and there are down days. And if we pretend that that's not the case, then I think we're in trouble, right? We need to, as you say, we need to be ready to hear the answer, um, not necessarily think that we're the ones that are going to fix it, but hear it, track it and um, and and have it be meaningful. And I've always thought, you know, I think that sort of stuff flows down from the top of the organization and it influences how we engage with students and just being real with people and authentic. I'm asking all guests to share one thing they're doing to be well right now, perhaps something that brings them joy or a sense of connection. What would that thing be for you and how do you find it helps? Okay, so mine is a kind of a twofold thing. There's two sides to it. So this is my way of getting two things in instead of just giving you a single one. This is my, my way of being tricky. So that's, um, a, that's acceptable. 
Yes, thank you. I spent a lifetime as a couch potato, really, for for decades. Um, I, I was a couch potato, and it's only been in the last few years that I've actually understood and come to understand the value for me of exercise, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional uh, value of exercise. And so I've been leaning on that heavily during this period. And uh, running has been, um, running every morning has been a huge part of my life. It's what gets me going. Moving is what gets me going. So um, as academics and leaders, you know, we spend an inordinate amount of time in our own brains and it can be, believe me, a scary place in there. And so I have to figure out ways to get out of my own head. And so a part of that, the second part of that is I've developed a love uh, and potentially an obsession with podcasts. And of course, running and podcasts actually go together. So um, being able to listen to um, something like Crime Junkies um, or uh, The Happiness Lab um, and following these wonderful podcasts are a great distraction. And uh, coupling that with running where there's exercise has been, you know, it's quite frankly, it's, it's saving me. It's keeping me going. And uh, I feel really lucky. Yep. I think those, those are two great things. So is there a final thought that you want to leave listeners with either about anything we've talked about or just something in general? So when I think about a couple, couple possible final thoughts, when I think about our graduates um, this week, I think about, you know, the message of it's it's inevitable as you go forward, you go through uh, life, you do different things. I think it's inevitable that we're going to get knocked down and and maybe in the early part of this um this virus, uh it really felt like we were getting getting knocked down. So so that's going to happen, but the issue is not getting knocked down. The issue is really how are you going to get up? So if you're knocked down, what does that, what does getting up look like? And what is um, pulling yourself together and developing resolve to move forward? That's really, that's what defines people and uh, the choices and the, and the lives that they have is, is how they get up and move forward. And, and I guess um, if, if the university was, was briefly knocked down in mid-March, um, by um, the virus and having to physically close the campus. I watched people get up off the mat and um, get going in some really remarkable ways. And um, that will always stay with me. Our colleagues uh, who provide the supports, for example, to faculty, whether it's the Gwena Moss Center, the distance education uh, unit, media production, our colleagues in ICT, come together to provide the supports to uh, empower our faculty colleagues to be able to uh, do their best work, you know, across campus, being able to watch how people picked themselves up and got going. I think, uh, it'll, as I said, it'll stay with me and it inspires on those darker days and more challenging days. I am inspired by, by those people uh, and, and what we've been able to accomplish together. Well, you know, I think, and and you know this, but I'm going to tell you because I I don't get to tell you very often, but I'm glad to hear that it inspires you. But of course, you create the conditions under which you can be inspired by actually providing things that that other people need. And I think the fact that I'm talking to you on this microphone today is largely because of your approach with people and the fact that you trust people to do things like podcasts to say, well, yeah, let's try that. Let's create the conditions under which something would work. So 
um, right back at you in terms of the inspiration, in terms of creating those conditions for other people. Yeah, well, I guess back to your leadership question, I would just say, as a leader, you need to know when not to get in the way of a very good idea. And I, I really appreciate that these podcasts are, are it's, it's part of our response. It's doing things and having imagination and creativity. And uh, thank you so much for, for working on these. Yeah, well, no, thank you for trusting me to do it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today, Patty. Thanks, Peter. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to the Be Well at USAS podcast with me, Peter Headley, and thanks again to Patty for joining me and sharing. Please check in again for further episodes and more content related to being well. Please subscribe and share this podcast. You can find us on multiple platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. We'd also love to hear from you, so please post comments and questions, and we'll look to include them in future episodes. Also, if there's someone you'd like to see as a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover, or even a reaction to an episode, please write to us at bewell.podcast at usask.ca. Thank you.